You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 111, The Gas Chamber. Hello and welcome to episode 111 of You Don't Know Flack. Uh, episode 111 is late. As usual, <laughs> they're all late. I should just put, um, I should just announce that they're late. I should put that in the introduction that um, you don't know Flack will be late. So that way I don't have to announce it each time. But um, I've been traveling a lot for work. Uh, I'm, I'm doing work right now as a uh, penetration tester doing some security scans for government agencies. So over the last couple of months, I've spent uh, a week in Chicago, um, a week in New York City, a week in Denver. Uh, boy, I've just been all over lately, and uh, you know, so when I get back home, I just haven't had that much time lately to um, to work on the podcast, especially with all the other things going on. You can always uh, follow the blog at robohara.com to see uh, what I've been up to and all these travels and things like that. And um, also, right before the last uh, episode, 110, I launched The Gas Chamber, which is my new forum. And the gas chamber uh, is actually going to be the topic of Podcast 111. Now, I'm not going to be talking about the gas chamber as it exists today in a internet online forum, but rather my old BBS, which was called the gas chamber, which ran um, uh, a long time ago, ran in the mid-90s. And um, so I'm going to talk about that, a little bit of my history of uh, calling BBSs and running BBSs and... You know what? This is as good as uh, any place to jump right in. So uh, I know you guys have been waiting for episode 111. I've been waiting for enough time to do it. So let's just go ahead and get it kicked off. This is episode 111 of You Don't Know Flack. As I've mentioned before on You Don't Know Flack, I was born in 1973. So um, uh, I caught the... I was right at the perfect age to catch the very beginning of uh, the onslaught of, of home computing we had a uh, we got a TRS-80 Model 3 in 1980 and we never had a modem for that computer but um, uh, as I, I've mentioned before uh, in 1982 the price to add two floppy drives to that computer was a thousand dollars and for that same price we could get an Apple II clone uh, it was actually a Franklin Ace 1000 was the model, but, uh, you know, for the most part, I just refer to it as being an Apple. But um, So in 1982, we got the uh, Franklin Ace 1000, the Apple clone, and it had dual floppy drives and a, a monitor. We we started out with a uh, an amber monitor. My dad didn't like the uh, green screen monitors. He didn't like that whole concept, but an amber monitors were the same. It was, you know, just... Uh, monochrome one color monitor but the amber was a lot easier to read uh when you're reading text so we had a the uh franklin ace with the amber monitor and the uh, dual disc drives and a modem and one of the things i remember early on is that often with the modem you wouldn't call bbs's um you would just call individuals like we would call um my dad would call his friends at work they would set up a time where they would set their computer to auto answer on a modem and you would call and then you could chat basically it it was um pretty rudimentary i mean there was no actual bbs you were just connecting to someone else's machine you could chat and send files back and forth that was about it and this was mostly uh well back then this was definitely taking place at 300 baud which uh if you didn't have the pleasure <laughs> of experiencing 300 baud I specifically remember uh, later on my Commodore 64 transferring disks of data and having sending one side of a disk take about four hours at 300 baud. And, um, you know, a, a Commodore disk holds 
664, is that right, uh, blocks. Um, but when you convert them over, it's like 180K. So if you can imagine, you know, 180K taking four hours to download or, you know, roughly, um, it was really slow. <laughs> Uh, there was only one, when we got our modem, there was only one BBS that I really remember, and it was run by our local Radio Shack store. And so you could call and, and you know, leave posts for other people or whatever. But around this area, Oklahoma, 1982, there weren't a lot of, of public BBSs. Now, that began to change in 1983 um, when War Games, the movie, came out. Uh, there were actually two events in 1983 that, that kind of changed my life uh, in regards to computers. One was the movie War Games, where all of a sudden, you know, there was this, uh, you know, everyone was exposed to this world of of war dialing and hacking into things and stuff. And that, you know, was obviously as a, well, in 83, at the age of 10, that seemed like a pretty good idea. <laughs> I mean, he, you know, uh, other than the whole possibly launching, you know, nuclear missiles and accidentally starting World War Three, but that part of it didn't didn't seem like that good of an idea, but you know, getting into systems and playing games or whatever that seemed like something that might be fun. And then also in 1983, I don't, I'm not sure. I think it started in '82. There was a magazine called Enter Magazine, which um, split off. It actually started uh, as a, a section in 321 Contact magazine, and 321 Contact was kind of like the slightly older version of the Electric Company. So I mean you. I guess you would go Sesame Street, then Electric Company, and then you had 321 Contact, which was a little bit more like a science type of show. Um, they would do some experiments. I think there was a... I don't remember if Mr. Wizard was actually on there, but, but they would have, you know, they would do little science things. They had um, the Bloodhound Gang. They would have a... That would be part of 321 Contact. And then they had... Um, I mean, there was a TV show, but then there was a magazine that went with it. And I got the magazine... And in the magazine, there was a small section called Enter, and it got popular enough that Enter became its own magazine. There was never a, a television equivalent of Enter, but um, in Enter magazine, there was a big article about the 414 hackers, which was a group of hackers in Milwaukee that uh, got arrested for hacking, and uh, they were on the cover of Enter magazine, and it talked all about, you know, uh, there was an article on piracy, there was an article on hacking into things, that kind of stuff like that, and so it just really got my attention at a young age. Um, now, around that same time, my dad and one of his buddies at work, Tom, set up a BBS in Oklahoma City called PCX, and as far as we know, and, and it's hard to make claims like this to say that this was, you know, unequivocally the first uh, PC BBS in Oklahoma City area, but um, it's the first one that we knew of. I mean, when when they set this BBS up, nobody else was running one around here. All the boards that my dad was calling at the time were long distance. So he and Tom set this BBS up, and so at a very early age, I mean, you know, at the age of 10, I'm now able to call BBSs and or a BBS at the beginning. Um, and then other BBSs came soon, of course. And, uh, but I was able to get on and post messages and start interacting with people. And, uh, the next year, 1984, my dad set up his own BBS called the Backdoor BBS, which was named after the, um, Creedence Clearwater Revival song, uh, looking out my back door. And it ran at our house on a PC Junior. And so that was my introduction to seeing how BBSs work. Running a BBS was kind of like being the host of the party, if you want to think of it that way. I mean, you were the person that did a lot of the work. You did a lot of the cleanup after the party, <laughs> of course, too, you know, and taking care of, of files and posts and things like that. Uh, but BBSs in the 80s uh, really predated multitasking. So if you think about my forum that I run right now, the gas chamber, it's running on a server that's doing a lot of other things. It hosts some um, other websites, other forums, all these different, you know, things. But back then, if you ran a BBS, uh, if you're running this program, that was it. So, you know, a home computer could cost thousands of dollars back then. And then you had to get a dedicated phone line. Basically, you had to invest a lot of money into running a BBS. I mean, you had to buy a dedicated computer, this phone line, all these things. Uh, and then while the BBS was up, 
you couldn't use the computer for anything else. So there, in the beginning, there weren't a lot of BBSs. I mean, you know, in the, the early to mid-80s, there weren't a lot of BBSs. So I kind of cut my teeth on uh, the backdoor BBS and, and watching my dad run that and helping out. And then in 1985, uh, that's the year that I got my own Commodore 64 and um, my own modem. And so that's uh, when I started calling BBSs. And in fact, um, when I got my Commodore... At that time, we had three phone lines in our house. Uh, my sister and I had a phone line that we shared, but that doubled as uh, the BBS line for me, I mean a modem line, you know, for me to call out. And then my dad had the phone line in the living room that was dedicated to his BBS, plus we had, you know, a regular voice line. So the hobby definitely wasn't cheap, you know, <laughs> having three phone lines. I mean, that, and that was just one part of it, obviously. But um, one thing I always liked about modeming and it's really, it's true today, even with um, the internet forums and things like that, is that being online was kind of like uh, this this great equalizer, you know. Nobody knew, a lot, very few people knew how young I actually was because I typed so well. I typed just as well as a lot of the young adults, you know, that were online. So a lot of people just assumed that I was, uh, you know, in my late teens or even early 20s sometimes. And, and when I would would meet these people face to face of course it would be um you know a complete shock to them how young i was you know and even on forums right now you don't judge somebody by uh well you would hope that that people wouldn't do this in you know face to face either but uh you know on a forum it doesn't matter if you're uh what race you are what sex you are you know if you're overweight underweight um you know any of those things because Really, you're just judged on your, you know, what you say, your words, and and um, you know how you type and, and what you say. So, yeah, the uh, it really kind of gave me. I I enjoyed modeming back then, you know, because um, you could get on and talk with grown-ups and talk with different people, and uh, you know, a lot of them just had no idea how young I was. Now, after seeing my dad run his BBS for so long, when I got my Commodore. I really wanted to run a BBS, but, um, you know, I, we were going to have to get a fourth phone line or something or, you know, work out some deal with my sister, and it, it just didn't work out. You know, my parents weren't willing to <laughs> buy a fourth phone line for me, you know. But then I met my friend Jeff in seventh grade, and, and he's actually one of the people that I met that had a Commodore before I did. And so uh, we kind of hatched this plan that I would, you know, configure a BBS and set up a BBS, but then we would run it at Jeff's house, you know, which, of course, was a great deal for me because, uh, you know, we would tie up his computer and his phone line and all those things, and I would, of course, you know, reap the rewards of, of running a BBS. But um, that it never happened. We were never able to, to run, you know, a BBS over at Jeff's, just for the same reason that, that we couldn't run one from my house. But that didn't stop us from dreaming about the possibility of running a BBS. So what we would do is download these BBS packages. Um, 6485 was a very popular Commodore one. That eventually became Ivory, which was uh, 6045, but with color graphics. And CNET was a popular uh, BBS program, as uh, that, and that became uh, Image, I believe. But anyway, so what we would do is we would get these things and we would completely customize them, you know, and so you could go through uh, the BBS software and completely you would add your own menus and your own color schemes and, and every section of the BBS, like you, if you would go to um, the, the message area or the file area or to leave feedback, every one of these areas that you would go to from the main menu would display a, a page of text before you did it and especially once we got into the world of color graphics, you know, you could draw these pictures and, and um you know, every BBS would come up with a theme. And so Jeff and I would, would dream up these themes, you know, like um, uh, we, one we came up with was the Fortress of Solitude because, you know, <laughs> every BBS had to have some kick-ass name. You know, it was like, uh, you know, I mean, at the beginning, like you could probably name all kinds of generic names and people that mowed them back in would say, oh, I remember a BBS called that, like, you know, the Graveyard or the Clubhouse or... Um, you know the pirates pirate ship or something like that you know those were all very common names early on and then people got a little bit you know more creative or whatever so you would kind of have to um and and 
the, the other thing was that you would want to come up with a theme, you know, like uh, we were going to set up Fortress of Solitude and then, um, you know, Jeff would be Superman and I would be Lex Luthor or something, you know, goofy like that. Um, and for and then we had one that was going to be called the Wild Side BBS. That must have been around the time of uh, Motley Crue's Girls, Girls, Girls and, and uh, the Wild Side song, you know. But So we would come up with all these these themes and develop these entire BBS themes and we would draw the graphics and put everything together. So we would do all the work. We would just never run the BBS, you know. <laughs> but, but we had a lot of fun doing that, I guess. But um, the second best thing, if you couldn't be a SysOp, and I may be assuming too much here, but SysOp uh, is an abbreviation that stands for System Operator, and that's whoever ran the uh, the BBS. But uh, many BBSs along the SysOp was basically it was a given. The SysOp was the person who owned and ran the BBS. But many BBSs had co-SysOps, and the co-SysOp, his job was to do the work uh, of the sysop as well, you know, like uh, a lot of the maintenance type things or uploading and down or, you know, uploading files, keeping the file areas cleaned up, that sort of stuff. Um, you know, pruning the, the message areas. That, that would be things that co-sysop would do. And, uh, of course, you know, a lot, and a lot of times co-sysop was just a tag that you would give your friends. You know, like when my friend uh, Justin set up his BBS, the Ball of Confusion. Then he made me a co-sysop just because we were friends, you know. So, I mean, I don't remember having any specific duties with his board, but um, but that was a being a co-sysop was kind of a way to to play sysop through other people's boards, you know. So you kind of had all the power and all the uh, uh, the fun of doing it, but you didn't have all the headaches of you know replacing hardware when it died or you know fixing you know, recovering things after a crash or whatever, but, so I I was never, you know, in the Commodore days I was never really a sysop, but I was a co-sysop of probably dozens of boards, you know Now we're going to jump forward about a decade and and we're, we're leaving the mid-80s behind and we're arriving in the mid-90s um few things have changed. Modems have got faster. Uh, in the Commodore days, I uh, started at 300 baud, moved to 1200 baud, and then a, a, in the very tail end, moved to 2400 baud, which was fairly uncommon for uh, Commodore users. But um, uh, in the mid-90s, you know, this is uh, 90, about 94 now. 9600 baud, 144, those are, those are the norms uh, in this area people calling BBSs and and you know I, I've been calling PC BBSs again this is in the mid 90s I've been calling PC boards for a while what we found what a lot of us found was that there were kind of two levels of users there were the uh, I mean there's no nice way to put it <laughs> but there were the people that didn't take modeming seriously if you want to put it that way and then there were the people that were actually you know trying to to better the scene if you will, are the local uh, Oklahoma scene. You know, there were people that were, you know, getting files from out of state and uploading it. There were people that were moving message boards along. There were the people that were running BBSs, guys that did uh, artwork and graphics and stuff. And so that was kind of like the um, the upper echelon, if you will, of um, uh, local modemers, you know. And so uh, at uh, this infamous party that retroactively I guess became uh, known as the gathering the first gathering here in Oklahoma uh, one of the guys who attended was this uh, guy named Brian his his alias was Yon T which was a uh, half spider creature thing that uh, in Dungeons and Dragons but Yon T comes into this party and basically announces that he has this vision that all of uh, you know the elite users of 405 would band together and create this group and the name of the group would be the Brotherhood and and the way that the Brotherhood would work uh, would be that everybody would scratch each other's backs so the guys that could do um, uh, fancy uh, artwork, ANSI and, and ASCII graphics and stuff would do that for everybody who was in the Brotherhood and and the wares guys would, would get software and spread it to all the people in the Brotherhood and, and uh, so that was the idea, and that's eventually, I mean, that that little speech was how the Brotherhood, uh, or TBH, 
TBH 405, how that kind of came about. Now, Yon T, and he was friends with uh, a couple of guys named Prong and Lefty. And Lefty was the sysop of a board called Magic Rat University, or MRU. And Magic Rat University was pretty popular, but um, one of the problems with Magic Rat University and what ultimately began to separate the men from the boys, if you will, was hardware. For a board to get popular and stay popular, you had to have hardware. And if you were uh, doing uh, wares, you had to have drive space, you had to have faster modems. Later on, you had to have multiple phone lines, you know, for people to connect in. So... Uh, and Magic Rat University didn't have any of those things. Um, it uh, was a slow board. It didn't have enough drive space uh, to run, uh, you know, wares and stuff like that. So it, it was a popular board, but it was kind of um, falling behind, you know. Now, in the uh, fall of 1994, and this is after the Brotherhood had already been established, uh, I founded Souls at Zero, the uh, horror lit group along with The Stranger. And The Stranger ran a BBS called Where Shadows Wait, which became, um, it was the home of, of Souls at Zero just because nobody else wanted to be it. <laughs> and um, so we did a lot of stuff through Where Shadows Wait, but Where Shadows Wait, uh, The Stranger wasn't really involved with the Brotherhood. So it wasn't a real, really a Brotherhood BBS and and you know the stranger was really into writing horror literature which didn't really fit into you know what tbh what those guys wanted to do so you know i saw this opportunity kind of presenting itself that um the tbh needed a a big system to uh call itself you know to call it home and uh i thought you know what i'm the guy to do that so um in the april of 1995 i launched uh, the gas chamber BBS. The way that I got the hardware for uh, the gas chamber is kind of funny. At the time, or shortly before that time, I had been working as a computer technician at Best Buy. And uh, this is like before Geek Squad when they just had you know a little service window and they had one or two uh, computer repair people that worked there and I did that. And uh, this lady came in with a old computer uh, probably a four-year-old machine at that time, and this is uh, late 94, maybe early 95. And she brought this machine in and uh, said that it was dead and that we needed to fix it. And, you know, the, the resources that we had were really limited. Um, you know, basically we had whatever was in the store's inventory at our disposal, but that was about it. So... I, I take this machine apart and I look at it and it is a an HP actually it's not even an HP it's a Packard Bell 386 so in 1994 this even you know this is pretty old it's probably a four year old machine and um, I try to boot it up and the CMOS battery is dead so I thought well that's that's an easy fix and I open it up and the CMOS battery is this proprietary little box that connects to the motherboard and I know immediately we're not going to have anything like that, you know. So um, I call the manager over, you know, and I'm like, I can't, you know, repair this machine. And this lady pulls out the warranty that someone has suggestively sold her for about 30 bucks that says um, it's a five-year warranty, and if we can't fix it, we'll replace it. And the manager, you know, he's asking me what to do. And I said, you know, this is a, a proprietary battery, and, and we might be able to order it from Packard Bell. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. And, uh... So ultimately, we um, this lady got a new machine out of the deal, and this you know piece of crap Packard Bell that wouldn't even boot got dropped off, and uh, the manager told me uh, to get rid of it. He didn't ever want to see it again, and I asked him. I said, you know, could I take it home? And he said, I don't care what you do with it. I just don't ever want to see it again. <laughs> so uh, I took it home and uh, sat it on my shelf. I didn't really know what I was going to do. I probably had it in the back of my mind at that time that I was going to run a BBS off it, but um, uh, machines were hard to come by at that time. It wasn't like now where you could just go to a thrift store and, and you know, pick up a machine for 10 or 15 bucks or, I mean, you know, for, for a project thing like that. I mean, machines were going to be several hundred dollars. So this was, even though it was, you know, outdated at the time, it was still a, a good find. So I took this machine home, and then I immediately rigged up my own battery. I used um, 
the uh, Packard Bell proprietary battery connector, but I put my own battery in it and soldered you know the wires up to it, and so I had a worker machine, and um, I bought a gigabyte hard drive, one gig drive, which sounds ridiculous now, right? You know, I mean, a one gig drive. I mean, my phone has way more memory than that. Probably my toaster has more storage than that, you know. But um, during the time I worked at Best Buy, I'd watched drives. When I started there, we sold a, a 220 meg hard drive. It was the biggest drive we we sold when I started there. And then I watched them go to like, I don't remember what it was, 370 maybe, and then 420 and 540. And just watching the sizes, and it was almost like, um, you know, with anticipation, we were watching the drives, and it got up to 730 and 850, and I said, you know, they're going to hit this this gigabyte ceiling or whatever. And um, and so they did. We, we were watching the, the, you know, the orders coming in, and then eventually it said that we were getting two one gigabyte drives. And so I reserved one, and my boss reserved the other. And the price was $999. So it was basically a dollar a meg, which was a good price, really, at the time. And with our discount, I remember I paid $575 for that drive. So I got this one gig drive, and I got this computer, and came home, got it all set up. And back then, there was a problem because BIOSes wouldn't even see drives that big. So you had to use a thing called Disk Manager, or we used to call it Disk Mangler. Um, but you would <laughs> install it on the hard drive, and then it would trick the BIOS into seeing a drive that big, you know, because BIOSes weren't built to handle seeing a drive that would be, you know, one full gig. You know, who could have imagined? So anyway, I, I take it home, and I, I load it up, and I, I talk to um, now my wife, Susan. We were um, just roommates at the time, and I told her that I wanted to run a BBS, you know, and she said, that's fine. We were living in a mobile home at the time. Uh, she was working at as a secretary at some drug company, and I was making six bucks an hour at Best Buy. So um, it wasn't like we were, you know, we had money to throw around. And plus, I just bought this hard drive. But I did talk her into getting a second phone line strung to our mobile home, which is, you know, <laughs> kind of interesting in itself because you have this little phone pedestal out back and the phone people have to come and they they run wires you know from this pedestal to your little your little trailer you know but um yeah so april 95 uh, the gas chamber goes online and then i, I kind of went back and looked in preparation for this and in the um the may uh, issue of of souls at zero it announces that the gas chamber is the um U.S. headquarters for Souls at Zero. And that was another thing that a lot of people did was, um, you know, with groups or whatever, you might have your world headquarters or your U.S. headquarters or maybe even the, you know, regional headquarters, which was all crab, basically, you know, <laughs> but it was a nice way to where you didn't, you know, two people could both run a headquarters or whatever. So um, uh, the stranger is, was the uh, world headquarters and then mine was the... Uh, U.S. headquarters of Souls at Zero, and then um, the uh, it was also listed as the world headquarters for Sith, which makes sense because I ran Sith, um, which stood for Sick in the Head Easy, and then it was um, really what what Sith was was a um, and it could be a, a podcast of itself, but basically it was my attempt to be the cult of the dead cow. Uh, I had just uh, in 1994, I attended HoHoCon, which was um, kind of the predecessor of DefCon, and it was held uh, down in Houston by the the Cult of the Dead Cow. And so I I was really into reading all their text files and everything at that time. And so I decided that's you know I was going to do that when I came back. So that's what Sith was. Um, but also around that time, if you go back and I can look at the, the logon screens, I, I still have captures of a lot of this stuff, um, but the gas chamber becomes the world headquarters for uh, TBH-405. In fact, in the TBH-405 newsletters, um, the gas chamber becomes, starts. they start uh, calling it the uh, TBH motherboard. Now, around this same time, uh, I changed jobs, and I left Best Buy and I moved to uh, uh, the government help desk that I worked on, and my salary doubled. I went from making six something an hour to twelve something an hour. So all of a sudden, I have a little bit more income, and I start pumping it into the BBS. Now I already had the uh, the gig drive, you know, and this 
computer case, if you can imagine. I mean, it was like a kind of a small-scale desktop. It wasn't a tower uh, computer case. So it had a spot for one hard drive, one five-and-a-quarter drive, one three-and-a-half-inch, uh, well, five-and-a-quarter floppy, and a three-and-a-half-inch floppy. When I had saved up enough for another hard drive, I pulled out the five-and-a-quarter floppy, which was fairly dated by the mid-'90s, uh, I mean, I still had some, but I wasn't really using it day to day at that point. So I pulled the five and a quarter floppy drive out, and I mounted a second hard drive there. And uh, when I saved up, you know, enough money for a third hard drive, I pulled out the three and a half inch drive, and I mounted a third hard drive there. And then uh, eventually, I mounted a fourth hard drive on top of the power supply with duct tape. And uh, the top of the case wouldn't even screw down anymore with that fourth hard drive on there. But I. You know, didn't bother me. I just kept adding hard drives, you know, because that's what people wanted. You had to, you had to have the drive storage, you know. Um, around this time at work, I got access to a CD-ROM burner. It was a One X CD-ROM burner. Um, the CD-ROM burner. Most people don't even remember burners that were this archaic, but our burner was scuzzy. And it was an external unit that had a CD-ROM burner in there, and it had a SCSI hard drive. So what you had to do was, the the hard drive was used for staging. Before you burned a CD, you had to copy, uh, you know, everything you wanted to burn over to that hard drive, and then it would burn from that hard drive uh, to the uh, your actual CDs. And uh, me and uh, my buddies Jeff and Johnny went in. We bought a 10-pack of blank CDs, and it, it was mail order, and it cost us $100. And then we split it, so I got four of the blanks, and Jeff got three, and Johnny got three, so I paid $40 or whatever. And um, figured out that, you know, after people had uploaded so many things, I could pull a hard drive out, take it to work, copy it over to this burner, and back it up to a CD, you know, and free up you know, drive space for more uploads or files or whatever. And uh, around that time, I ordered a six-disc changer for my computer. And it was an external, this big external box, but you could load six CD-ROMs into it. And it came with a, a DOS driver, you know. So I I would, you know, boot up my machine, and it would count, you know, hard drives uh, C, D, E, and F, and then it would go through the six CD drives, G, H, I, J, K, and L. But I could map all of those drive letters inside the BBS software. So then I began, you know, just putting the CDs in those. And and then I could, you know, claim that much more drive space. So at some point, you know, I had like, uh, I don't know, six or seven gig online, which was almost unheard of. I mean, it was one of the, the larger local systems for sure. Now, the problem became that the BBS got too popular. And, uh, I mean, the the phone line was tied up 24-7. People would just have the number on auto-dial. So the minute someone hung up, uh, you know, the next person would connect in. And, and there was, you know, people were always downloading. And, and um, I always wanted to get the message bases going more. But I had so much drive space that the focus was more on uh, file transfers, uploading and downloading, you know. So, uh, eventually, I added a, a, another modem and another phone line. So, now I'm living in a, a mobile home, and the phone people are coming out, and I've got three phone lines running to this trailer, and I'm sure they're wondering <laughs> what in the world's going on, you know, with uh, <laughs> in my trailer, you know, run some kind of bookie business or something, but... Uh, uh, so then I got two phone lines. And what I would do is, um, in the beginning, I would switch the second phone line back and forth between the BBS and my main computer. So if I wanted to dial out, I would use the, the third phone line. And then when I wasn't dialing out, I would plug it back into the BBS and it would be available so I could have two callers, you know, uh, on the board at the same time. And... uh then after a while you know it got to where the two lines were were just pegged all the time and so i would if i needed to dial out we would do it on the main phone line so i remember um getting into a fight one time with susan because she needed to make a call and i had three phone lines tied up at the same time you know which 
in her defense was not the agreement you know <laughs> that we had come to so uh, but for the most part I just stuck to um, you know the two the two uh, phone lines going to the BBS now one of the things you run into when you run a BBS and especially when you're dealing in um, you know gray matters like maybe uh, software or you know uh, I don't know what all <laughs> there's thing I'm sure there's things that went on on the board that I had no idea about um, but um, you make enemies you make people either they're jealous or you know you rub somebody the wrong way in fact um, and this is probably something I could do an entire podcast about maybe in the future but I invented a fake co-sysop named Mr. Moonpie and Mr. Moonpie was in reality a uh, giant stuffed banana that we had picked up at a garage sale but nobody knew that you know so Mr. Moonpie was the person that would do all my dirty work. In other words, if somebody needed to be kicked off the BBS or whatever, um, then I would have Mr. Moonpie do it. Or if someone needed to, you know, be reprimanded for something, Mr. Moonpie would do all that. And so then pe- when people would talk to me about it, I would say, boy, you know, that guy, uh, I don't know, he's kind of a loose cannon. I could just kind of pass stuff off, you know, as, as this other person. And there was a, a small circle of people that knew that Mr. Moonpie wasn't a real person, but Mr. Moonpie kind of, you know, grew, he had his own little cult following, and that may be a a topic that I talk about at some uh, later date, but, um, so yeah, but you end up with these people that either take advantage of you, I had people, uh, in the early days, I didn't have what was called a file ratio, um, and a lot of people implemented these, like, like myself, because people would get on the BBS and just download for hours at a time and never upload anything. So, uh, you know, you could instill a uh, ratio to where people... Ha- and you could do it either by file size or file numbers. And I did, like, a file number. So, you know, if you uploaded one file, you could download five files or something like that, you know. And then I, I caught people that would get on there and upload, like... Uh, you know, music collections of uh, MIDI files, which were really small, and they would upload hundreds of them, and then they would tie up my BBS for days, uh, downloading programs, and so, you know, Mr. Moonpie had to deal with that, kick those people off, but um, uh, one guy that uh, got rubbed the wrong way was this kid named Barry, and um, I didn't know Barry that well, and he went to HoHoCon, I remember seeing him there and Barry was more into like the anarchy stuff and writing viruses and uh, dumpster diving, like that whole kind of scene. Like it wasn't really my. I, I mean, I'm not gonna say that I didn't dabble in some of that stuff, but this guy was pretty serious about all that, you know. And uh, for a while, his alias was Trash Can Man because he uh, uh, spent so much time in trash cans, you know. But um, Someone apparently, and this is, you know, I'm just going to preface this. This is stuff that happened 15 years ago, and I've kind of pieced it together based on my own memories and going back and reading text files and putting together, you know, what happened. But someone called Barry's BBS and set up a uh, fake account and sent a message to the sysop, which was something you could do. And in the message it said, you know, that... The FBI knows what he's up to and that he's going to be turned in and all this stuff and get ready to be busted and your days are numbered and it was signed from the Brotherhood of 405. Now, I can tell you that nobody directly involved with the Brotherhood of 405 wrote that message. I mean, we didn't care about people like that. All we cared about was getting games and playing games and drawing pictures and, and drinking beer. <laughs> that's what that's what we wanted to do, you know. Um, but, you know, his reaction was to come back at the headquarters of the Brotherhood of 405, which was my BBS. And so he called me uh, just, you know, literally yelling at me, and I, I didn't even know what was going on, you know. And he started telling me that... Uh, he was calling the FBI. He was going to turn me in for all the stuff that was on my BBS. And, yeah, you know, just the threats. Threats that kids make to each other. Uh, but I took it seriously. <laughs> and so uh, 
you know, I started cleaning up the BBS and, and locking down who had access to what. And, um, you know, kind of it kind of created this big stir, you know. And uh, I think, like, you know, my people talked to his people. I don't know how it worked. But somebody talked to somebody and calmed him down and, and convinced him that, uh, you know, that it wasn't us that left this message. But uh, it was still, like, after that I didn't really trust the guy. You know what I mean? Like, once somebody just flies off, you're always... The back of your mind, you're like, well, they're going to fly off the handle again if they get mad, or are they still mad, and they're just, you know, pretending like they're not mad, whatever. So, um, uh, anyway, a few months later, I had this, uh, remember I, I talked about Yon T, we had had this party, and it was called The Gathering. Well, we, we had multiple gatherings, and um, I hosted The Gathering 4, and uh, one of the people that came to The Gathering 4 was, was Barry. And so, um, you know, we're having this party or whatever, and Barry leaves, and and uh, and the party was was in uh, just a, like a block from my house, you know. So, and then I, after the party, we have to stay and clean up. So I'm there for several hours, and and I was I remember thinking, when I get back to the house, I bet there's going to be a bunch of posts about the party, about the gathering four, on the BBS. And so I get home, and there are no posts, no new posts, no new calls, anything on. Um, on the gas chamber, you know, and I thought, well, that's weird. I didn't really put it together at that point, but, um, you know, I, later I try to make a voice call and I can't make a voice call. And so I go out, you know, to the, the tombstone where our phone lines come from and they're okay. And then I start tracing it back and right outside the back of the trailer where the phone lines come, came into our house, uh, all the phone lines have been cut. And it wasn't like, you know, it didn't, I mean, of course it was high up enough that it wouldn't be like a lawnmower or, you know, even a weed eater or something that would leave a jagged edge. It's obviously, they've just been cut through either with a knife or, or scissors or something like that, you know. And so, um, I immediately pointed the finger at Barry and, and he denied everything and said he had no knowledge of it, knew nothing about it. And, um. Uh, I mean, I haven't talked to the guy for 10 years, but the last time I talked to him, he still said he had nothing to do with it. And at the time, I didn't believe him. And then after a while, it didn't matter. <clears throat> um, you know, it didn't matter who did it, really. It, uh, somebody did it. And I felt like it was associated with that. Maybe it wasn't, you know. But um, there's always that next level. And it was like... Um, stuff had just increased to the next level at that point. Like, uh, you know, you, you get online or whatever and people hurl insults and that happens today with, with forums or whatever, you know, people get on and, and call each other names and this and that. But then there's that next level and the next level for me, then people were, you know, like he had, had called my house and I was like, why is this guy calling me? You know I mean? So that was like, escalated it to one level then when my phone lines got cut that was an all new level that's people coming to my house and you know doing stuff to my house and i thought i gotta get out of this you know and so that was for me that whole incident was like the beginning of the end uh where i wanted to you know kind of get out of this whole thing you know um I still ran um, the gas chamber for a while after that. I ran it up until uh, the summer of 1996. I started getting online on the internet uh, in the fall of 94 uh, and very early of 95, you know. So um, I saw the competition between the internet and BBS's, but I didn't see that the internet would just kill BBS's dead. And in fact, I wrote an article. Um, I don't even know why I wrote this. Maybe for a BBS or something. And it's dated September of 1996. And um, I actually have this article because I save everything. You know, I was going through old CDs, and so I'm gonna just read this. In fact, I haven't even read all the way through it yet. Uh, but I, I remember writing it. So, anyway, this is an article I wrote in September of 1996 called Full Circle. When I first started modeming, I knew that this was the end. There would be no more football games on hot summer nights. There would be no more staying up late at night watching television. 
for several nights, which grew into several summers, which grew into several years, which has grown into almost a decade for me, there would be an electronic frontier to navigate, the world of BBSs. I started out where everyone else did, calling an entire list of BBS numbers that were printed in the local computer magazines. Mostly FIDO boards, the type of boards where sysops list their real names and give you access on the first call. I wish I could say it was on the PC scene, but I started on an Apple, moved to Commodore 64s, and didn't move to the IBM world until my dad bought a PC Junior with a 300 baud external modem. I met cool people. I met jerks. I met weirdos. I met people that I never wanted to talk to again, and I met some of my best friends, people that I still talk to today. After paying my dues, people began to know who I was, and I worked my way into the underground scene. Frankenstein's Lair, for those of you who remember it, ran on CNET 10 and had been totally rewritten to look like a graphic adventure. Groundbreaking antsy at the time. I made some connections back then, and soon I was as underground as you could get. I was pretty full of myself <laughs> writing this article. <laughs> Times passed. BBSs I learned came and went, as did aliases. Some of my friends quit modeming, others just changed aliases weekly. For years, I did what other people in the scene did. I started calling long-distance boards and spreading my name. I started making groups before I could even crack or anything, just joining with other modemers. I started modifying the heck out of Renegade BBS, preparing for the day that I would become a sysop, drawing poor ANSIs and changing the name weekly. I collected wares for years. I dabbled half-heartedly in the freaking hacking anarchy scene, half-assed trying things and reading things. The wares scene has always been me, regardless of what else came along. And then, one day the internet appeared. Within a matter of a couple of weeks, it seemed like all my BBS friends began gravitating towards the net. And before I knew what happened, people were talking about Webcrawler instead of Terminate, Yahoo instead of Zmodem, and IP addresses instead of new user passwords. People could be whatever they wanted to on the net. It was huge and fast and had color. <laughs> That's funny, I would say that they had color. <laughs> yeah. People loved the net. Well, they did for a couple of years. I remember a day when BBSs were for computer people, not just anyone with a modem. And likewise, I remember when the net was for computer people, not just anyone with a free AOL disk. Sure enough, though, just when my friends and I had just enough bandwidth for us and our friends, along came the PD punks, I guess that's public domain punks, who made web pages for no reason, tied up Yahoo with their preppy searches, and surfed from dawn to dusk, slowing the net down and local providers all to hell. And one by one, completing the circle, my friends and I have grown tired of the net. Sure, it's a great tool and a great place to pick up new wares or easily locate information, but for a place to chat, hang out, talk to people that we know, there's no place like home. I've seen a massive increase to my BBS lately, thanks to net burnout. I think people will eventually return to their grassroots and remember where they came from. Hopefully all the lammers and kitties referring to how they act, not necessarily their age, will gravitate towards the net, leaving our local BBSs once again for computer people to hang out and BS from the comfort of our easy chairs once again. Jack Flack. <laughs> September 1996. Well, Mr. Flack, it didn't quite work out that way, did it? I don't know. You know, there's a few funny things in here. I, I love, love, love finding uh, old things that I've written throughout the years and, and how finding, you know, seeing how wrong I am on certain things. So what I had hoped for didn't happen. Uh, you know, what I had hoped at that time, I guess, was that the internet would be so easy to navigate. And, you know, this is a, a thing, I, people bring it up all the time, but it's really tough to understand. But in the early days of modeming, when you got a modem home, you probably weren't going to get it to work that day. <laughs> modeming took a lot of work uh, to get things, you know, in the early days to get things configured. And, and everybody thinks they had it rougher than the next generation. You know, I remember... Um, you know, back when not all modems were compatible with all terminal programs, you know, and, and trying to get, you know, even later than that would be uh, all the uh, DOS problems of getting, you know, your COM ports and, and IRQs and things like that working on your modem physically for it to work. So, you know, I go pretty far back 
each time that the technology makes things easier, it lowers the bar, so to speak. The entry level gets easier. And so year by year, uh, it, it became easier, which means you got dumber people, more or less, you know. And and so I think when I wrote that, I was just, you know, I was hurt that um, I had run this BBS and it had uh, grown so quickly and so big, you know, I'd put all this money into it, and immediately when the internet came along, uh, you know, everybody ran to the internet, and, man, I was a holdout for a long time. I ran that BBS, and this is a a really funny thing, and it really shows where my head was at at the time. Uh, when I go back and look at my BBS directories, and I remember doing this, I was using the internet to... Uh, and I, I just recently had this conversation with a friend of mine, uh, Boring Beige Box. Shout out to Matt. Well, we just had a conversation where I was telling him that I used to use the internet to download software to put on my BBS, you know. So it wasn't like everybody, you know, it, <laughs> it's, a weird, it's a weird thought where, you know, I was still trying to keep new content and compete with the internet, which obviously you can't do, but I was trying to compete uh, with that. So... You know, I, when I had those two phone lines, like I would use one phone line and go out and find these. Um, and it's weird stuff that I that I was into. I guess that was stuff that you could find easily, like um, uh, song lyrics or um, Star Wars files or you know, like weird directories of graphics that I'm sure I must have just found FTP sites. You know that that um, uh, you know would have this stuff available for download, and I would download it all and then put it on the BBS and promote it and say. You know, hey, the gas chamber, and now we have eight thousand Star Wars pictures, and then hope that that would that would you know line the people up. <laughs> That's what was going to save the BBS was, um, you know, downloading public domain crap off the internet and, uh, you know, sharing it that way. And obviously, it didn't work. You know, that fall in '96, I moved to, to uh, Washington, and you know they didn't have the same BBS scene. Obviously, I mean it was. It was whatever they had up there, and I, I just never got into it, you know. And I wanted to talk to my old friends, and the easiest way to do that was on the internet through IRC. And so um, that's what I did. I never put a BBS back up there, and and um, it's funny uh, when I'm I I was gone. I was out of Oklahoma for a year and a half, and when I came back, um, I remember setting up a BBS uh, and this would have been the spring of spring to summer of 98 and I set up a BBS and I don't remember how long I ran it uh, but it was um, months like maybe two months something like that and um, nobody called I mean I'm sure one or two people called you know but um, it was just like it happened that fast you know where where um, 95 and 96 it's the biggest thing around you know and then it's gone for a year and a half and then come back and and I'm begging people to call it and uh, uh, and that's it you know it was just over that quick and I, I kind of feel like I don't know I don't know what's better if it would have been um, would it have been better to not have moved and watched it slowly decline you know that I mean that that would have been the alternative but what I did was there was still you know some BBS activity going on I moved for 18 months and when I came back it was completely dead it was like I missed it you know it's almost like um, this is a, a strange comparison I'm, I'm going to give you that in advance but um, uh, like when a friend you haven't seen for a while dies and then you're like wow I didn't get to say goodbye I didn't you know I never got to get that stuff back I loaned him <laughs> <laughs> that was jerky. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like, um, it's just that there's no closure, you know? And so that, I always kind of felt like that with um, with the BBS was just that um, it just kind of uh, kind of went away when I wasn't looking, you know? And uh, But anyway, that was the gas chamber. It, it, um, I, I'd been, I felt like when I put the gas chamber up, I'd been preparing for that moment for a decade, maybe longer, you know? I mean, I dreamed about running a BBS, and when I put it up, man, it was just um, 110%. I spent so much time uh, and money on that BBS. 
Um, and I, I could lay there at night. Now, I, I've heard people that were into it more than me. I couldn't, I couldn't do what some people did. But I could definitely tell you if um, people were, like, downloading or if they were in the message areas or whatever based on the, the sounds of the hard drive. Uh, and the BBS was, was set up in my, my bedroom, you know, in the trailer. So I could lay there at night and hear people on. And based on the sound that the computer was making across the room, I could tell you, you know, even with the monitor off, I could tell you what people were doing. And um, especially when I when they start going through the CD-ROM drives, and you could hear it, you know, each drive would make a, a chunk, you know, when it would go through. And then... Um, you would hear it spin up when it read the directory, and then if they were reading multiple files, it would sound differently than if they were, um, you know, browsing all the, the things. But it was weird, just, uh, you know, I, I did a pretty used to do a pretty good impersonation of a, a modem tone, you know, and uh, I don't know, it just, just went away. But um, you know, the, the world today. Uh, forums and and that kind of stuff. You know, one thing I don't know that if you if you weren't regular on BBSs, you may have forgot this, but um, we had email, but unless it was on a networked um, BBS system like Fido or something like that, you had to call the system that the person had left you mail on. So, you know, there was a time where I was a member on fifty or more BBSs. So if somebody left you a message, you know, I might not see it for a week. It wasn't like email where it just, you know, popped right up. You had to if somebody called a BBS they left you a message there, you didn't get the message until you called that BBS you know, so so conversations and information moved a lot more slowly than they do now, of course and uh, don't get me wrong, the, the technology of forums is a lot better <laughs> you know uh, I I've had people, several people have suggested to me that I should, when I started talking about wanting to set up a forum, that I should set up a telnetable BBS, you know, and do that. And, and it's just, you know, they, it's so much, the forums, I mean, the free forum software that I've set up now for my forum is so much better than, um, you know, anything that we had on the BBS. It, it handles text better. It, I don't know, just, you know, the technology is, has increased. And so, yeah, I don't... It, that kind of nostalgic rose tinted glasses. I don't want to go back to BBSs anyway. Forums work pretty good, I guess. Um, but you know, with the the podcast, and I feel um, I feel scattered a lot. I don't know if you feel that way, but I feel like like um, you know, there was a time when I was updating four or five different blogs. Um, RobOHara.com has always been my primary. Uh, well, it hasn't always been. The very first one I set up was at LiveJournal, uh, which I still have. Now, most of the blogs that I have um, now are basically just being updated automatically. I update RobOHara.com, and then it automatically updates. Uh, it automatically posts to uh, Facebook, and it automatically um, sends to LiveJournal. You know? But there was a time when I was doing all that manually, and Digital Press and Atari Age, two forums I'm on, both had their own blogging system and I was manually doing those and then I, I set up my own I set up a different blog for a while I had two that seems greedy <laughs> uh, but I had tech.robohair.com because um, uh, you know my I, I've done this weird thing and I don't know if, if it was a good idea or it wasn't even intentional but somehow I got all these groups mixed together so I mean on my subscription list on my blog I have um, you know members of the cult of the dead cow and my grandma you know and so when I post to the blog you know everything that I post I always realize that there's some people that are going to like this and some people are just going to be completely confused and depending on what I'm writing about you know I mean I don't think these you know all these hackers out there or whatever don't want to read you know about my 4th of July parade float that we built for the kids and my grandma doesn't want to read about you know updates to nessus or whatever so um anyway i i just started getting this feeling like that the scattered feeling like you know i have some people reading what i say on twitter um i'm commodore on twitter by the way and then some people that only read uh the facebook and some people that only read robohair.com and some people you know and i have 
you know, I really have have um, taken a liking to Twitter, and it's not uh, for the reason that most people do. I don't really, I'm not using it as like the an updating type thing, but I, I kind of use it as like a challenge of what's the funniest thing I can write with 140 characters, you know, that kind of stuff like that, or or um, like a couple of times I've posted haikus, but I try to hide them where people won't see that they're haikus, you know? <laughs> so I just kind of do little fun stuff on Twitter, but um, uh, I don't know. I, what I miss, I guess, was home. You know, like the gas chamber, the BBS was my home base, where if people wanted to find me, they could come there. Um, and if people want to see what I'm up to or, you know, what projects I'm working on or what's going on in my life, they could go to robohair.com. But... Uh, that's good. It's easy. Uh, blogs, especially WordPress, are an easy way to see what's going on in someone's life this week or right now. But it's hard to see, you know, what overall projects are they working on or this or that, you know. I just wanted a place to, to be home again, you know. So that's why I s- decided to set up a forum. I set it up, you know, really as a... This is funny. In, in Commodore, and this, and this is just in a few years... Uh, Commodore came out in 2006, and in the front it said, if you'd like to find me or whatever, come get me at, and it lists my MySpace account, you know. My second book, Invading Spaces, came out in 2008, and I remember thinking, I can't believe I put my MySpace account on the first book. You know, why wouldn't I put Facebook? But I wasn't on Facebook in 2006, and, and, um... Uh, and now, right now, it seems like, well, gosh, you know, just put the Facebook. But, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, in two years, you know, what will be the next big thing? Will it be Facebook? Will it be something else, you know? So it just kind of seemed like um, setting up my own forum, that was a, a landing place. And anybody could come there, and you could go there. And, um, you know, it's not totally like my old BBS. And, and um, some of the people have moved on. And, uh, you know, it's hard to get get people back into um, something that they, they left a decade ago. I understand that. But, you know, but now I have new friends. And the people that have, have shown up to uh, my new forum, which is um, the easiest way to get to it is just go to thegaschamber.robohara.com. And the gas chamber is all one word, thegaschamber.robohara.com. Uh, but the people that have showed up there are my new friends, you know. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that's the only people I'm friends with, <laughs> but I'm, it's just a new generation, a new group of people, you know. And so I like that, and um, it just gives me a place where I can talk about my projects and the things I'm working on and stuff. And it could kind of be a home base, you know. And and as um, I continue to um, release books and and publish books and and um, all that kind of stuff. It's just a place where I can post that, and and um, and you know everybody will will be able to find it there. So that's um the history of my old BBS, the gas chamber, my old history with BBSs, and um, what led me to put up a forum called the gas chamber today. Um, I know that I say this, but um, you know on on the uh, gas chamber forum we've set up a thread of topics that people would like to see in future podcasts of you don't know flag and so you could go on there and if you've got ideas for a, a podcast subject you'd like to hear me um talk about you could just go on there and post it and um i've got about 15 or 20 ideas on there and people have kind of voted for different ones that we have and i've i've actually juggled different ones around you know based on what people want to hear so if you have uh, input on that head over to um uh, thegaschamber.robohair.com uh, as always you can get the podcast at podcast.robohair.com or you can just visit www.robohair.com which will get you uh links to everything and that's the home of the blog but uh uh, I've, I'm pushing the time limit on this one, so we're going to wrap up episode 111. I will see you guys in a few weeks for episode 112. It is, um, I think today we hit 107 degrees here in Oklahoma. It is hot as blazes. <laughs> I have no reason to be outside or doing anything else but sitting inside my home right now in the air conditioning. 
working on podcasts. So that's what I plan on doing. So, hey, um, to everybody that's come to the forum, to everybody that listens to the podcast, everybody that's uh, supported me in any way, I just want to say thanks. I really appreciate it. And um, if you want to email me anything about the podcast, you can email me at podcast at robohair.com. Um, but that's it. I, I can't think of anything else to plug or wrap up. Uh, that's episode 111. I will see you. Uh, when is one month are we in? July? We're in mid July, around uh, the 1st of August, uh, maybe the first weekend, of, the first full weekend of August. We'll shoot for episode 112. So. Anyway, thanks again. I I really, really mean that. And I will talk to you soon.